happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to episode five of Wind and Rain. Remember, if you like this story, it's available on Amazon.com and www.osuz504.tech. That's osuz504.tech. And be sure to check out Ozzy's new long-running story of the week posted on the homepage for your viewing pleasure. It is called Sanctuary. There's some mutants, a shape-changer named Lonely, fire that rains from the sky, an evil overlord named Bishop, all set in the broken desert that is the American Southwest in a hundred years or so when we finally destroy what's left of the water system. It's great. Go check it out. Now, on to the story. Thunder seemed bored. His massive body took up the whole couch, which wasn't a problem since Ocean had decided to take over the big chair by the fireplace and Hurricane was on his lap. That left Silence's chair for Phoebe. She sighed, easing into it slowly and trying not to feel like an interloper in his personal space. Anouk, honey, please get us all Silence's journals, particularly her active contracts and the binding spells related to the Leviathan. Yes, mistress, said the little fairy before shooting off into the rafters. Books, said Thunder, dismissively. Ocean calls, saying it's the end of all things, that silence has turned, that the veil has failed, and we're all gearing up for the battle of ages. I bust my ass and break the light barrier getting down here, and you're all in a library reading books. He groaned theatrically. What the hell, lady? I was hip deep in, well, he gave Phoebe a lurid grin. I was just busy with a charming green mage from Canada. Real repressed up there from winter and whatnot. You'd know all about that, wouldn't you? And... You're a pig, said Hurricane. Shut your mouth. You gonna let your wife talk to me like that? Control your woman, Ocean. Ocean's expression didn't change. What's to control? You are a pig, and you've said it about yourself before. Hmm, Thunder sulked. That was different. I'm allowed to say it. You aren't. He perked up. Hey, Spleen, you said that Kedis was running a couple rescue operations for civilians in the mortal realm. Kedis is a good time. Maybe I could help her... Please focus, said Phoebe, awed by his libido and tremendous stupidity. If you can keep your dick in your pants for just a moment, I think I've found how silence built all those binding spells. He tapped the journal. The framework of the spell should still be in place. We just have to anchor it somewhere other than Tartarus, since Hyperion has swallowed it already. Anouk swirled down, levitating another stack of books onto silence's desk. Phoebe smiled at her. The little fairy hid herself in Phoebe's hair. Thunder looked at her in incomprehension. What binding framework? The spells that were used to control the leviathans. They were binding spells written by silence. She nudged the journals again to draw his attention to them. She wrote down how to do them here, and I think I can recreate them if we just figure out where to put everyone, you know, now that Tartarus is gone. Thunder looked deep in thought. You know, I really missed an opportunity there, he finally said. Silence is a woman. It could have been... Oh my god, said Hurricane. You are disgusting. Spring, that's a great idea. She glared at Thunder. This brute wouldn't be able to do a spell if his life depended on it. He's all intuition and luck, no training. Hurricane leaned over her husband to pick up one of the highlighted books, scanning through the notes. Her face grew serious. Phoebe, these are really complicated. It requires preparation, control, a huge amount of power. Phoebe nodded, a little unhappily, affirming Hurricane as she continued. I mean, Ocean and I could probably learn them together, but there's no way. We're going to have to work quickly, split up, take down the Leviathans in teams before they do too much damage, growled Ocean in his deep, slow voice. 
like we did in the beginning. Ender rolled his eyes. Why are you all freaking out about this? So there's a little upheaval in the mortal realms. So what? It's not like it hasn't happened before. He yawned. Yeah, this really isn't any of our concern. If any of you can't handle your business, you're welcome to come to my Tikvas. We've got plenty of room. We have responsibilities, rumbled Ocean, before Hurricane could yell at the underman. Your power means that you are responsible for those without. You know this. Look, I helped you all these years because I owed Silence a favor and he asked me to, but I really don't see the point in this. What's so bad about the Leviathans being out and about? Humans have gotten pretty uppity with their technology and their first world problems lately. It might be good for them to get cut down a bit. He smiled. You know, diminish the population. Make them appreciate magic again. You know, instead of killing and persecuting us like they usually do. Silence wouldn't want... Silence isn't here, Spring, said Fender, cutting her off. And maybe the reason he isn't is because he recognized the writing on the wall, same as me. He leaned forward in his chair. Let's be real clear about this. I don't give a fuck about mortals. All they do is use us and throw us away. He relaxed back into the chair. Let them figure out how to deal with nature going berserk. We'll be fine. Hurricane looked at him with contempt. You are an awful person, she said, shaking her head. The right thing to do is to protect... Ah, don't lecture me about protecting mortals, Hurricane. You're the one who gets off on death and destruction. Your last hissy fit drowned a continent, so don't, don't fucking lecture me. It was only a little continent, she mumbled. And I was going to say, protect silence, you asshole. Sure, mortals are there and they get in the way sometimes, but do you really want to see silence swallowed up with Hyperion? You know how close those two were. Given the chance, we all know silence will just throw himself into the void. Is that what you want? A Hyperion-silence dynamic duo engulfing everything? She crossed her arms. The first time you three bound Hyperion, it took all of you a week, and Hyperion was still human enough to be able to listen to silence. I doubt he's anywhere near rational by now. Ocean sighed and leaned his head into his wife. Besides, we've all seen silence in action. He is a force to be reckoned with. I don't know if any of us can beat him alone, much less with Hyperion. His mouth drooped. And I don't really want to beat him. I like silence. We're brothers. Hurricane laid her hand on the base of his neck in comfort. You won't be, honey. You're a sap, said Fender dismissively. Don't be a wuss. We can take him, and Hyperion if it comes to that. He shrugged. But again, they haven't come after us, just mortals. Why even bother? But what about the realms, asked Phoebe. Shouldn't we put nature right? I don't know about you, but my magic hasn't been true since Tartarus fell. Spells that should be easy take it out of me. Elementals are gone, eaten up. Power seems less somehow. You can't tell me that's a coincidence. No, I've felt it too, said Ocean. The balance is all wrong and magic is harder to use. Surely we can't leave that alone. Who cares? That sounds like a problem for future us. Why not just enjoy the quiet? With all the mortals dying, it's very peaceful around here. Phoebe tried not to clench her jaw. The library doors opened and Magda slipped into the room. Maggie was in her hound form and padded over to Phoebe to lay her head on her thigh. Sorry to interrupt, Mistress, but she wanted me to let you know when Judas is awake. He is, and doing well. He's trying to fix the building now and asked if you needed anything. Phoebe ran her hands over Maggie's head and ears, soothed by the soft fur and the heaviness. No, we, we don't need anything. 
Tell him to take it easy when you see him. Magda glanced at the other masters around her. Hephaestus is here, mistress. He's ready to fight if you need him. Can I go get him for you? Hephaestus? asked Thunder. What's Hephaestus doing here? Making me a new set of armor, said Phoebe. Well, an original sense, you know, since I didn't have any in the first place. And I was planning on going to save the world. You know, practical stuff. It's a waste of the man's talent catering to you people, he scoffed. You've got a Ferrari working as a tow truck here. He'd probably make some for you too, Thunder, if you asked him really nicely, said Hurricane, with an intimate note in the comment that Phoebe didn't understand. Thunder scowled. I don't need Phaestos wasting time on stuff like that. He slammed his fists together dramatically, letting sparks fly. I'm much more effective with all that heavy crap. You people with your weapons and your needs. Fucking weak. A sudden flash of memory. Phaestos, silence called into the darkness of the forge. Are you here? I have some people wanting to meet you. As her eyes adjusted, Phoebe looked around her tall husband to see a strong-looking boy in a leather apron. At the call, he awkwardly turned, limping clumsily into the light nearer the door. Oh, hello, masters. His tenor voice had just a hint of rough smoke in it, happy-sounding. It was unusual for a mage to sound happy, and Phoebe immediately liked him. She stepped out from around silence to get a better look at the boy. As tall as her, but broad, Phaestos' arms were scarred and burned, almost black, though the rest of his skin was fair. A dusting of freckles spanned across his nose and a shock of curly orange hair stuck up at asymmetrical angles around his face. His eyes were a shocking electric blue, like the desert in high summer when no wind blew. Kindness seemed to ooze off of him, and she had a feeling babies and animals loved him. While he wasn't a large man, necessarily, thick cords of solid muscle twisted from his hips to his neck and down knotty forearms. He tasted like oak and mulberry in her mind, tinted with iron soil. It was very pleasant, warm, loving. Phoebe stuck out her hand. You are the most adorable thing I've ever seen, she said without preamble. I'm spring. He gave her a quick, relieved smile, as if meeting strangers made him nervous, and shook her hand back. Why, thank you, miss. Very pleased to meet you. Master Silence goes on about you. How would you feel about me smelling your hair? Asked Phoebe, only to feel Silence's scowl and his sharp elbow in her back. Relax, Silence. Look at him. I want to pull his cheeks and feed him. Silence rolled his eyes at Phaestos's confused expression. Please excuse my wife. She's the affectionate sort. Spring, please don't eat him before Thunder has a chance to introduce himself. Thunder, come in. This is... Silence stopped. Thunder had frozen in the doorway, his eyes fixed on the smith mage. Every muscle in his body seemed to tense as Silence let his voice trail off. Oh, said Silence. Oh, my. She'd never seen Thunder so quiet. Glancing at the young man, she seemed to see a rust-red ribbon flare into white light between him and Thunder, but it was there and gone too fast for her to register it completely. Thunder, she said. Phaestos, he's a smith mage, specializes in augmenting other people's magic, and we thought you... Thunder turned and left. Silence glanced at her. Uh, one moment. Would you mind entertaining our guest? She nodded. Her husband followed the big man out of the room, and she was left with the boy. The boy's smile faded. He looked crestfallen. Morosely dropping his hammer and slumping onto the side of the forge, his broken, deformed legs stuck out at an uncomfortable angle. 
Well, drat, he said, depressed. Phoebe sat next to him. Oh, now, I'm sure Thunder just had something to do, she said, trying to be consoling. No, Faceless said, staring at his leg with deep sadness. It's because I'm an ugly freak. I know it, and he's, well, he's amazing. Oh, nonsense. Phoebe reached down to the wound, reaching out her magic. We can always heal it. She stopped. It was raw metal and a confusing mass of wire muscles, magic, and non-living flesh. It burned her when she tried to touch it. He gently moved her hands away. Uh, no use, miss, he said, patting it. I appreciate the thought, but I got twisted up by an elemental when I was just a baby. Got thrown down a mountain for my trouble, too. He gave a rueful little laugh. Messed up my face pretty good. She took a closer look, seeing scars and the telltale kink of a broken nose. I didn't even notice, she said honestly. You look so warm and happy, I never even paid attention. Aw, he blushed a little. She could tell because his fair skin showed everything from the chest to his tips of the, to the tips of his ears, and she was absolutely enchanted with him. You don't have to say such nice things, miss, really. He sighed. I just, you know, everyone knows about this guy king at Mythicus. I've heard all the stories about him and Master Silence. I really wanted to meet him, you know? He blushed deeper. I really wanted to make something for him. It'd be like I was part of those stories if I knew he was wearing something of mine, you know? Thunder is an idiot, said Phoebe. He's a savage. You're better off avoiding him like the plague. Why pay attention to him when I'm here anyway? But I'm pretty sure he didn't leave because of you. You're delectable. Stop, he said, even more embarrassed, flicking her hand away gently, which made him even more appealing. She pinched his cheek because she could. You are just the cutest thing, she said, bemused. Seriously, if I wasn't... Silence re-entered the forge, seeing Phoebe twisting the boy's cheek and gave a long-suffering sigh. Faceless, I'm so sorry for her. If you're done stealing my wife, maybe we could talk about some armor. He gave a look out the door. Thunder had a previous engagement he forgot about and, and won't be joining us. I'm very sorry for the inconvenience. Oh, Faceless's face fell again. Well, I knew he probably wouldn't want to work with someone like me anyway. Not someone like him. He hauled himself painfully to his feet and slowly made his way to the other side of the room towards a large, bronze-bound chest. As Phoebe and Silence followed him, he opened it, revealing a cornucopia of weapons, jewelry, toys, all tiny and precious-looking. He selected a set of soft, fingerless leather gloves and handed them to Silence. For the Sky King, he looked down at his feet. Like I was telling the lady here, I've heard all the stories about him. I know he prefers not to use weapons or armor, but see, he ran his thumb down the side of the glove. Delicately woven metal threads shimmered in the shape of a lightning bolt, and a shock of light flashed through the room. He can use these instead, cast lightning bolts from his fingertips with almost no effort. Oh, I'd really hoped he'd like them. Maybe you can give them to me for him. Give them to him for me. If he... His voice caught a little. If he'd rather not take something from me, you can lie and tell him someone else made them for him. I don't mind. He caressed the leather, a small smile on his face. A friend of mine is a tailor and a weaver. We worked for months on the spell fields. I'd hate it if he didn't use them. Phoebe looked at Silence. Silence nodded very slightly to her before turning his attention back to Faceless. He patted the younger man's hand and took the gloves. 
Thunder will be delighted with these. I'm, I'm positive. I'll be happy to give them to him later. But are you sure you don't want to give them to him yourself? Facer shook his head. No, somebody like me shouldn't hang around people like him. No, you shouldn't, said Phoebe. You're far too good for him. Silence stuck an elbow into her side. Ow, she said, glaring at him. It's true, though. This boy is obviously an... Facer so beautiful, interrupted Silence, talking much too loudly. I'll make sure he knows you made them. He'll love them. I'm sure of it. Phoebe sulked as he gave her another warning glance. Thanks, sir. Much obliged. Phaestos gave a sad look to the treasure chest, and Phoebe couldn't help but notice how many lightning motifs were on all the goodies before he closed it up. Right. Master, let's talk about you, then. Um, you say you're a naginata, a spearfighter. I have just the thing. Phoebe glanced at Thunder. He was wearing a black t-shirt with some sort of music propaganda on the front, jeans, sneakers, a pair of fingerless gloves that looked like they'd been dyed, mended, patched, and repaired so many times there was almost nothing left of the original material. Faces could make you something, Thunder. Like you said, he's got a gift. Why not ask him for something? Thunder sunk his chin into his chest and stared at his steepled hands, mumbling, I don't need anything. Nonsense, said Hurricane. He's offered. He loves to make things, and your gloves are basically falling apart. Thunder closed his fists together and shoved them in his lap. We might as well all talk together. Maggie, darling, would you please get Faces and bring him to us? He can start taking measurements and helping us choose spells as we go through Silence's book. Yes, ma'am, said the hound, getting to her feet. He was just waiting to be invited. One moment, please. She disappeared out of the room. Hurricane gave Phoebe a significant glance and felt herself chuckling. Anouk, honey, which one of these has the best summation of the Leviathans, as Silence knew it? Asked Phoebe, offering a finger to the tiny fairy as a reward snack bribe. Where should we start? The blue one, Anouk said, her mouth full. Page 397. She flicked her wings and the book opened to the correct page. In Silence's elegant, methodical handwriting, Phoebe saw... Section 214, a description of previous experiences and ruminations on the subject of Leviathan power dynamics. Phoebe felt a corner of her mouth tweak upwards in a slightly exasperated, in slightly exasperated amusement. Of course, why use two words when you can use 14? Nerd. She tried not to feel the hole in her chest expanding. She scanned the section as the library doors whispered open and Magda returned with Phaestos. Older and more solid now, he still radiated kindness and warmth. She felt a moment of nostalgia for remembering him as a boy. Still adorable. How could I have forgotten? She was pleased to see his attention went immediately to Thunder. Thunder didn't move or acknowledge him in any way. But this time, Faceless's smile didn't fade, and he seemed to expect it, immediately directing his gaze to Phoebe. Masters, thank you for allowing me to participate. He slid another quick glance to Thunder. I'm here to help. The Sky King seemed very interested in picking threads off the couch in the opposite direction of where Faisto stood. Thunder needs new gloves, said Hurricane. That's a definite. I want a new armor set. Both of us do, rumbled Ocean, oblivious to the new storyline that the women were interested in. The last one cracked at Elsinian. Faisto's frowned. Cracked? None of my stuff should fail ever. He shook his head. I don't understand what it is about these leviathans. Phoebe tapped the journals. Faisos, I think we've got some of this info, and I've got, I think we've got to use some of this in info in the setup. 
Anouk can help. We've always just asked you to build what we were comfortable with, but I think there's more to it than that. Silence wanted the armor to fail. Why, I don't know, but I read it in the notes here. He always wanted a flaw that would let the armor fail. He shrugged. He did it every time, except for the first set that you built. That one is evidently still intact, but why would he want something flawed? Well, I don't know, but I'll look. Anouk, can you help us find an answer to that question? Yes, mistress. I'll go through the books right now. Good, good. Thacerus will rely on you to find something useful in there with her. Yes, miss. He stopped, consciously turning his back to Thunder. Now, in the meantime, what weapon would you like? A sword? A gun? I've been experimenting with some interesting modern things that have been working really well. Phoebe shook her head. No, I'll be taking Silence's bow. The room went quiet. A bow? asked Thacerus, almost hurt. But I didn't make that for him. Can you even shoot it? asked Thunder, roughly running over Thacerus's timid comment. Yes, I can shoot it, she hissed. Silence taught me, though I didn't pay too much attention. Spring, are you sure you should even, you know, be in the fight? asked Hurricane as delicately as she could. You don't have a lot of experience, and while your healing magic is about the only kind you've been able to use reliably. Phoebe nodded. You're right. There's no help for it. I have a feeling, though, that there may not actually be that much fighting involved. She motioned to the journals. Silas spent a lot of time recounting battles and methodology and, and just talking to the Leviathans. I have a feeling reading these will be more useful than preparing for combat. You're an idiot, said Thunder. Let's just go in, light some things on fire, and have it done with. Agreed, said Ocean. Too much thinking can be bad for the mission. He cracked his knuckles in an unconscious imitation of his wife's bad habit. A nice, simple fight. A couple, bent a couple binding spells. Done. It worked a thousand years ago. It will work now. Phoebe wasn't so sure. She opened her mouth as if to argue the point and then closed it. I'll just read them myself, she thought. If the team is so sure this will be a slam-bam deal, who am I to argue? She shrugged. Okay, armor then. Phaestos, me, Maggie, Hurricane, Ocean. I am fighting with you, mistress? Maggie seemed touched and pleased. Master never let me go with her. I need you, Maggie, said Phoebe. Consider yourself my new bodyguard. I've never done anything like this, and frankly, I'd rather just sit someplace quiet and warm and wait for all this to go away. I don't want to fight. You can go stick sharp things in people. I want nothing to do with it. Thunder snickered, making Thaistos turn to him with a scowl. Do not laugh, Sky King. She is honest, at least, and is trying to do the right thing. When could you say as much? Thunder blinked in surprise at the rebuke and flushed a little. He coughed to cover his embarrassment and crossed his arms defensively. Don't yell at me. I'm here, aren't I? And sulking. Thaistos limped close to the big man, easing himself painfully down on one knee in front of him. Thunder recoiled in surprise, but was unable to stop himself from reaching forward to help the younger man. Please don't hurt yourself. I... Thaistos caught one of his hands, sliding his fingers along the groove, critically examining what was left of the glove. Thunder shut his mouth. He said, feeling the mending and the abrasion of, as wires and metal banding had come loose from the leather, making the surface rough and broken. You should have come to me sooner. The metal has been worn so thin, I doubt there's any spell left in it. 
He twisted Thunder's hand, stretching his own fingers over the palm. And whatever you use to dye them has ruined the leather. It's a miracle you're getting any punch whatsoever with these. I do all right, whispered Thunder, following Faceless's movements. You don't need to trouble yourself. It's no trouble. Faceless smiled at him. Phoebe could feel the affection from her perch behind Silence's desk. Thunder reached out his other hand as if to co cover Faceless's with his own before a loud slam interrupted them. Hurricane grinned evilly and let the water hammer she'd flung against the metal ladder next to her slip back into her turquoise aura in a stream of clear liquid. Oh, sorry about that. Just can't control myself sometimes. Excuse me, said Thunder, delicately extracting his hand from Faistos and lifting the other man onto his feet again. He cleared his throat, snatched his hands away from Faistos' shoulders when he realized he was still touching him. Gloves. Great. Let me know when you're ready. I have to go get something. Great. Great. Magda and Phoebe watched as Thunder blundered out of the library and looked at each other. So much drama, said Maggie. Right, said Phoebe. Faistos, after all these years, still nothing? The metal mage laughed and ran his hands through his hair as if getting rid of tension. Not a thing. Won't pay a lick of attention to me. What can I say? Can't expect the sky god to go for an old cripple like me. His words were forced light, but Phoebe felt a sting of rejection, of hatred for his poor abused body. She sent an accusatory glance at Hurricane. What's wrong with you interrupting like that? Hurricane shrugged. I want new armor, and I want to fuck with Thunder. Don't deny me these small pleasures, Spring. I refuse to be a good person all the time. Anytime is more like it. <sighs> Relax. Thunder will come around, probably sooner rather than later. Hurricane unconsciously wound her fingers through oceans. Don't worry, Faistos. I've seen that expression before. It just takes easy mortals longer to figure out what to do with themselves than their dumb blockheads. Easy, treasure. I resemble that remark, said Ocean, obviously not exactly understanding what was going on, but knowing she was making fun of him. And why are you picking on Thunder? Is there a joke somewhere? No, darling. Don't worry about it. She smiled at him and let her other hand rest on his collarbone. Have I told you lately how glad I am to have you around? Ocean's brown skin darkened, and he mumbled something Phoebe couldn't hear, but that made Hurricane laugh out loud in delight. Faceless carefully limped over to Ocean and Hurricane. I see you favor a hammer, mistress. Would you mind standing me, standing and showing me the length of your arm, since you're in such a hurry? He softened the comment with a generous smile. I haven't had the pleasure of making a war hammer in many, many years. Phoebe tuned them out as she leaned down to the hound at her feet. Maggie, darling, I'm starving. Has Judas found any food in this dump yet? Magda scrambled up to her feet again, tail wagging. I'll go check, mistress. Oh. Phoebe raised a hand to slow the hound from taking off immediately. Would you mind finding something to sleep on and something to wear for me as well as settling us in the hospital? I think that's the only building stable enough to house people. She looked at the crumbling ceilings and the deep rents in the bookshelves. Anuk, darling. How bad is it in here, structurally? Bad, called Anouk. The books were hurt. She shook her head. Silence, why won't you just come home? Don't make him do all this alone. <sighs> Food, Maggie, and comfort, so we don't die before the Leviathans kill us. Anouk, my love, compile all the information about the Leviathans' magic for Phaistos. She settled into Silence's chair and picked up one of the journals. For a moment, she could feel his coolness. 
water on stone as she opened up his books. I miss you. 1266, lunar calendar, mortal realm. I have given up on trying to find her, or at least I tell myself that. Ankh doesn't even know where she is now, not after being bound to Tartarus, as if the old woman would tell me. She refuses to see me now, just disappearing into that colossus she's built, sulking. Although I can't, can't really blame her. I know she only hides in her labyrinth because she's afraid, afraid of losing her mind. Afraid of falling apart, like Tolum, like me. I know that, though I'd never give her the satisfaction of showing it. But when she looks at me like she does and tells me I've failed, that I broke her daughter, I have a hard time feeling compassion for her. Harder still when I see her magic twisting everything around her, and the way she finds it clinically interesting to rearrange life, suffering unacknowledged hate it, and her. Judas suggested I continue keeping these journals. I'm sorry I haven't been regular in my record keeping. Hope made me think I wouldn't need them after a while. I was wrong. Judas has also been encouraging me to write poetry of all things. Hate poetry. Self-indulgent nonsense. But I suppose there's no harm in confiding in you, journal. No one will read these anyway. I promised him I would think about it. Judas sent Thanatos to expand our library with more modern literature. Sentimental idiocy. The trash he's brought home. Authors these days are pompous windbags. I pretended I was only interested in the textbooks and not the fiction. To you, Journal, I could admit that I read all the new books in one day, and I can't wait to see more. I asked Thanatos to make a couple extra trips. I'm sure Judas knows, but he lets me keep my illusion of aloof intellectual academia, for which I'm deeply grateful. We all need our illusions. I haven't had the heart to tell Judas I've started writing my own stories. I can't show them to him yet, if I ever do. I wanted them to show them to Phoebe first. I think she'd be proud of me. She closed the journal and removed the tiny filament of light Anouk had left in it as a bookmark. It made her smile, touched, and she glanced over at the monumental stack Anouk had found. Book after book after book. Novels, stories, poetry. Always so serious, Idis, she thought, and prolific. Anouk had read them, flitting through pages to search for Leviathan references, but Phoebe was pretty sure that didn't count. That the dusty, crinkled pages hadn't been touched for centuries and were just waiting for her. When this is over, I will read every word, Silence. I promise. She felt another presence settle next to her, leaning on the couch, and blinked owlishly at Judas, who had taken up the latest journal and was brushing the cover as if dusting it for imaginary cobwebs. I had no idea there were so many, he said, taking in the stacks behind the fireplace, the doors, crawling their way up the ladder to the second story. I knew she kept good records, but this... Phoebe stretched her arms over her head and yawned, rolling her neck to relieve muscle stress. Most of these are personal, she said, not contracts or magical, just random diary entries and stories. Stories? She nodded. Yep, she's taken a lot of her experiences and fictionalized them, or, she paused, I think they're fictionalized. Battles that may or may not have happened, romances, all kinds of stuff. She plays around with spells in there, too, almost like she was testing out ideas in the stories. They're good, she said, half lying down with her head on the far couch cushion, letting the tension in her back release. 
nothing particularly useful for us here, but a lot of info on silence. Stuff I never knew. Stuff no one probably knows. Well, you were taken from us pretty early. You two didn't have very long together, said Judas, not letting go of the book. I'm surprised she didn't let me read these. Oh, she loves you, Judas, said Phoebe, closing her eyes. She really does. I don't know why she snapped and hurt you, but I know you are definitely the most important person in her life, even more than me. He cleared his throat, keeping his eyes down, but she could feel complex emotions bubbling in him. She could practically taste loneliness, love, fear, dread. So many. Poor thing. Not more important, mistress, just different, I think. You and I have a lot in common. She nodded. I know. Mistress, he paused as if the words were hard to say, as if they didn't want to come out. Are you going to, to destroy her? I don't know, sighed Phoebe after a minute. I don't know what we're going to do. I've been watching the realms in the mirror. It's terrible. Reality is coming apart. I can see the magi trying to keep things together, but it's awful. Another pause. It's like magic is coming apart at the seams, and everything is trapped between nothingness and a meat grinder. And she's doing that. She's responsible for that. I know, she said, feeling his shock as part of her own. Believe me, I know. These tiny strongholds are safe for the moment, but you're right. Everything's coming undone. Even if you do bring her back, I don't know if she'll be able to handle what she's done. To me, to you, to all this. His black eyes were horribly intent and sincere. She may not want to exist after seeing... Yes, I know. What if she doesn't have a mind left? What if you have to, you know... Judas, honey, I know. Do you think I haven't been considering all this? She flung a forearm over her face and groaned. I don't know. All I can think is that if we stop the Leviathans, maybe, maybe I can just talk to her and figure it out as we go. I don't know what else to do. We need her, mistress. I hate to say it, but the world is different now. Without her, nothing is in balance and the dead just wander or curse the living. Someone has to keep the pact. Someone has to manage this. God, don't remind me. Well, I hate to bring this up, mistress, but the only one with enough power is, don't say it, you. Ugh. If Master Silence doesn't come home, you're the only one that can put the boundaries back. She groaned again louder. I have zero interest in taking over the underworld, Judas. Zero. But, mistress, you already have. Ugh, stop. And, you know, you did sign a contract with her, promising to take over and rule if anything happened to her, so you're kind of stuck. Master's contracts are binding, he said, respect thrumming through every word. You can't break it. You can only be released by the exit terms. The contract itself puts a dias on you. It's kind of remarkable how she does it. I've, I've never seen anything like it. Be impressed later, Judas. Feel sorry for me now. A thought struck her. Judas, can I see this contract? Of course, he said, surprised. You already have a copy of it. What? He frowned at her. Do you not read anything? Hey, I have a lot on my mind, puppy. I don't necessarily read the fine print every time. But his face twisted up as if he couldn't process what she was saying. But they're your marriage vows. My what? 
Your marriage contract. Silence wrote it up ages ago. You signed it. Are you really saying you didn't even read your own marriage contract? I'm not saying anything. She felt a moment of monumental stupidity. A memory. Spring, here, please read this. Silence was standing over her with his usual serious expression. He looked so moody and gorgeous. She couldn't help herself. She pulled him down so she could run kisses along his face and started undoing his shirt. He slapped her fingers away gently. No, stop. I want to show you something. Please focus. She rolled her eyes and reluctantly pulled her hands away, crossing her legs primly and bracing an elbow on her upraised thigh so she could hold her head up and pretend to be interested. Whenever he got that expression, she knew he wanted to talk, usually about boring, meaningless topics that were only problems because he was overthinking them again. Fine. One hundred words or less, my love. Then we get to do something fun. He scowled at her, and she felt a little frisson of anticipation. She loved irritating him. It was so fun to watch him get all spun up about the smallest things. He took a deep breath and let it out slowly, as if he needed to prepare himself. Spring... What would you think about staying here, permanently? His eyes slid away from hers, as if waiting for rejection. I'd say yes, she said honestly. I'm already here. No reason why I can't stay. No, I mean, well, yes, you are, but I meant... He was tripping over his words. She loved it when he got tongue-tied. Hurry up and finish your little speech so I can do terrible things to you, she thought, smiling as his discomfort amplified. Would you please consider... Uh, well, rather, I'd like to ask you to, so in the course of a relationship, sometimes boundaries and rules need to be clearly stated, and she lifted her chin off her hand. You want to get married? Yes, he said, grateful. If you'll have me, I want to marry you. She blinked at him. Well, in my culture, we're already married. I live with you. You're mine. But I have a feeling you had something more formal in mind. She gave him a smile with just a hint of lust in it. I love it when you try and make me follow rules. You're sexy. He coughed, flushing pink, and thrust a book at her. I wrote us a contract. So cute. Come again, she said, taking it without opening the cover. A what? A contract, he said, miserably embarrassed and refusing to look at her. It's magically binding, he mumbled as an afterthought. You know, so we have to follow it. She looked at the book and then back to him. Why on earth do we need a contract? I love you. You love me. You let me do whatever I want. What more could possibly be necessary? Well, <clears throat> see, I have, I have responsibilities here. Crossroads, I mean, <clears throat> wealth and... W there's management requirements, and if there are any uh, children or... You know, if anything happens to one of us... <clears throat> You know, provisions. Provisions. She shook her head lightly and felt her eyebrow twitch. She flipped through the pages. Party of the first part does hereby take the party of the second part, hereafter known as wife or mistress, as consort, to be jointly responsible for the management and implementation of strategy and assets, hereby referred to as crossroads, to include, but may not be limited to. Silence, I'm not reading this. Okay, yes, I know there are some boring parts in there, but I wrote some really lovely things over in Section 2, Parts 1 and 1A. She raised a single eyebrow. He stopped and looked a little sheepish. Please, it's important to me. 
silence, my love, does it say that all your things are my things and that my things are your things and that if you die, I get everything and if I die, you get everything? Yes. Does it also say that I'll share your responsibilities to the best of my abilities, we'll work together to achieve this crossroads thing we are so on about? Yes. Does it say that we're going to treat any potential children with love and respect and make sure they're taken care of? Yes. Great, she said, tossing the book aside, closing her eyes and folding her hands behind her head. I accept. It's fine. Spring, if you could just sign this right here. Silence tugged at one of her hands, returning the book to her and helpfully opening it. She looked at him irritably. You're the most unromantic, mood-killing man. Did you know that? Yes. Yes, she said, mocking him gently and taking the book back. Fine. She lit a small world of power and breathed on her finger to sign her name on the page he had earnestly turned for her. He did the same next to it and placed a tiny binding sigil at the end. It flared black and gold, flooding each page with the symbol. As she closed the book, she saw him to spring spiral onto the cover in Silence's careful, elegant calligraphy. He put his hands on top of hers. Thank you, Spring. I'm sorry to be such a boring, terrible person. I just wanted to know that you wouldn't leave, that you would stay, that I mattered to you, officially, really, long term. You're so free. You never plan anything, and I worry sometimes. I worry you'll just disappear. He looked miserable, almost in tears. I know that's not how you're supposed to propose, but it was the only thing I could do. She reached out to wrap her fingers in his robes, pulling him in close so that he was kneeling in front of her. I accept you, stupid man. I like your seriousness and your boringness and all those wonderful emotions you keep just for me, she said, putting little kisses on his face with each word. I didn't realize you needed something to hold on to, but I'm staying. I love you. I'll always love you. And I want to help you build this thing because you care about it. She broke off to look into his black eyes and sighed a little in melancholy happiness at his long lashes and the way his hair flowed over her hands. Now, will you please get naked so we can do something more enjoyable than fight for the next three hours? He looked surprised and pleased, but glanced over to the book where she'd let it drop on the floor. But don't you want to read it? Nope, your hundred words are up. No more talking, she said, methodically stripping off his clothes. I'm bored with this conversation. Strip, husband, I have plans for you. Phoebe blinked, at the memory, blinked the memory away and cleared her throat awkwardly. Hmm. Well, no, I never actually read it. I'm not big on legal documents, you see, so I just had silence highlight some salient points. Judas looked at her like she was a madwoman. She blushed. Look, it was a different time, okay? I was a lot younger. Where I come from, marriage was basically just hooking up with someone until you got tired of them or your kids grew up. I didn't realize it was going to entail... She waved her arm around the room. Commitment and responsibility and whatever. She could feel his eyes boring into her skull. Don't judge me, puppy. Of course, mistress, he said, composing his face into its normal, serene mask. Would you like me to get a nuke so she can bring you your marriage contract again so you can finally read it after a thousand years? She closed her throat. She cleared her throat. <clears throat> yes, uh, thank you. That would be very helpful. Chapter 6 Idas dropped to Earth. For a moment, he paused on one knee, letting the galaxies and cosmos of Hyperion's void clear themselves from his eyes so he could see again. It felt good to be on stone and rock, and he inhaled deeply, pushing his hands into the soil to feel it more intensely. 
His senses were sharper, more raw than he remembered, and it took him a moment to adjust. He slowly stood to take in the world, letting his head fall back, seeing Hyperion's endless sky stretched above them, gloried in the feel of death flowing through him, felt bitter cold and heard screams. Everything felt so intense, so colorful. After years trapped in the dark, alone, finally, finally he could feel again. He exhaled, glorying in his breath, turning to ice. Hyperion had set him on an outcropping of some kind over a modern settlement. He hadn't been in the world for several years, but he thought he kind of recognized it as a capital city of some kind. He occasionally wandered into this realm to collect his books, listen to stories, and this one seemed familiar. He could see Ankh's handiwork in the risen dead, the distant growths of nature gone wild. Vines, trees, rainforests seemed to be competing in the cold to cover white stone buildings in the distance. He can see them snap up trees and feel the dead and dying screaming in their depths. In the cold, monsters without names soared above him, and what had been humans wandered with broken, mutated shapes, crying out for mercy. He had a moment of regret for Thanatos. It would be so much easier with him here. Oh well, the world is an imperfect place. He smiled to himself. And I'm about to start it over. Maybe we'll get it right this time. Ribbons of indigo ebony emerged from the earth to wrap themselves around him. His hair melded with the shadows until power seethed over and through him, bathing him in black flame. So much freedom, he thought, glorying in the heady dose, drawing more and more of it from the earth, pulling life force from everything around him as monsters fell and plants died and Ankh's heat fed his ice. He pulled more and more, letting the power build underneath him until he was hovering 50 feet above the ground, rippling with indigo black flame and watching a circle of desolation expand ever farther outward from him. He paused a moment, his palms up, feeling the power filling him up inside, filling up all the emptiness, all the insecurity, all the doubt, gone. There was only cold fire burning away anything but exhilaration. Clouds roiled around him in reaction. The sky turned bruised purple as his power interacted with Ankh's and Hyperion's deadly cold. And there, in the middle, when he'd built up the flames as high as they could go, he reversed his hands and smashed them together. The air and earth around him bowed and contracted in a silent explosion of power. A wall of shadow arched around the space it left and sped in a 360-degree barrier moving over the earth's surface, crushing anything living in its path. Streams of indigo black death siphoned up to Idis, drinking in those ribbons of destruction, of escaping souls and power. The last remnants of any survivors as his magic crumpled them and fed the burning blackness, eating him alive. It felt fantastic. He could feel his armor and stone skin cracking as the power moved through him, around him. Too much and too wild to contain. Bits of his skin started to flake off. Fractures of his true form bulged through. He howled, feeling his face break off and fall below him, feeling his scales taste freedom again. His mind was consumed in hunger, in need, that no longer responded to anything rational. His shadow stretched out into the cold, making the air solid as he swung his muzzle towards her. He could feel it. He could feel her. One step, and he shook the stone from his long legs. Another, and his old torso fell away. And in a moment, his wings expanded, and he didn't know if he was running or flying, but he did know that he had to get there, had to be next to her. The sound that came out of his throat was no longer human or fae. It was death. The boy was starving. He knew that, though he was too young to put words to it. 
He lifted another skin of liquor and tried to take it to the table, but it was too heavy. He dropped it. As clear liquid poured out onto the dirt floor, he heard an inarticulate roar from behind the bar and instantly squatted, holding his arms over his head and squeezing his eyes shut. Uncle's heavy fist came crashing down on him. Lazy good for nothing, he shouted at the boy. Get up! Get up! He hauled the child up, grabbing his shirt and shaking him. The boy felt spittle on his cheek, but knew that if he tried to look away or wipe it away, Uncle would just beat him. Sorry. Sorry, he stuttered. Miss Book, accident. Fucking little peasant. Another shake. Why should I keep you when you cost me money? Tears started leaking from the boy's eyes, and he closed them so he couldn't see Uncle's face. Contempt would make it twist into cruel shapes that frightened him even more. Sorry, he said in his broken accent. Freak, said the man, shoving him back. He thrust another horn and rag at the boy. Take this, clean it up. You're wanted at the banya. The boy froze. He hated going to the banya. Uncle put another fist to his head, and the boy juggled the horn madly to keep it upright and not spill it again. What are you waiting for? Uncle touched his belt. Are you looking for more encouragement? The boy ducked his head, grabbing the horn and rag. He handed the horn to one of the big reindeer herders at the end of the koshel, earning a grunt and a shove for his trouble, and took shaky steps outside. Winter was in full force. He could hear the wind screaming through the trees and feel the cold chewing on his fingers and feet. It burned as he walked barefoot to the banya. Uncle had put long sanded wooden planks to show the way, but the boy wasn't allowed to use them. They were for customers. He was for customers. He shuddered, unable to make his feet move closer to the dark building. It was always so dark. When Uncle had first taken him here, he thought it smelled nice, clean and warm, with spruce leaves. But that was before. Men's voices sounded inside the bathhouse, drunk, loud, and he couldn't bring himself to open the door, just stood barefoot in the snow like an ice statue poised on the threshold. Mishka, where is the little bastard you ordered? Didn't I even have some brat working for him? The door opened, and the boy's eyes caught the yellow light of the banya as the man stood in front of him. Well now, there you are, boy. About time. Here. He dragged the boy into the room, too hot, too close, heavy with steam. It made his skin hurt, and the man slammed the door. There were three. Three men this time. Fear, hatred, and desperation rose up in him, terrifying him. He clamped his hands over his ears and dropped to the floor as the first one put a hand on his shoulder. Not again. Not again. No. No. The boy shouted in his mind, wishing with all his might that they would just go away. He felt an odd tearing sensation in his brain, like the fear had broken something, and suddenly they were going away. He could hear cracking wood, desperate crying, and a rushing sound like hundreds of giant wings all around him, but he clamped his eyes shut and fed the sound with his mind, fed it with his hunger and his fear and everything that he hated and wished for. Every beating, every rape fed the sound until he ran out of energy. Exhausted, he opened his eyes. The banya was gone, decimated, crushed beneath a wall of earth. The men were gone, or rather, he moved some of the stone off a mound and saw a skull held in the last rictus of death. He startled backwards, tripping over another skeleton. Their flesh stripped off as if they'd been dead for decades. As he looked back towards Uncle, he could see the kosho was also ripped apart, 
A skeletal hand stuck out from the threshold, framed by warped, blackened wood, splintered like matchsticks under giant pillars of earth that had giant pillars of earth erupted from the ground beneath them. He didn't think. He couldn't think. He ran. He turned into the dark forest and ran until his frozen feet sent him into a dive, plummeting him into darkness. He woke up bathed in warmth. Someone had wrapped him in furs, tucked him into a bed of pine and moss, wrapped his arms and legs with thick wool. He stirred, trying to free his hands enough to wipe tears and gunk out of his eyes, but it didn't work. His body felt clumsy and wooden for some reason, and his head sent flashes of lightning through his brain with every movement. A weight settled next to him, and cool fingers took over unwrapping him. There, there. Little brother, said a voice. The boy started at the unfamiliar language and tried to push away. No, 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 he thought again, feeling that odd pressure building up in his mind the ripping feeling happening as he clamped his eyes shut and tried to hold his ears. But nothing happened. The stranger put a single finger on his forehead and coolness spread all over him. Not the cold of the snow, just peace. He opened his eyes. A slender man with yellow hair knelt in front of him. He was thin and smaller than the herders the boy had seen before. Much smaller. He felt safe, warm. Hello said the other man. There's no need for any of that. You are safe here. He fitted a wool cap more securely on the boy's head. What's your name, small one? The boy blinked at him, not understanding. Name? The yellow-haired man tried again. Prunom? Nazwa? Nachim? Ah, said the boy at the last one. Ikhat ikhat nachim. Friendin kalan mixrak. Interesting, said the man in the child's language. You are Icelandic. The boy nodded. And the man in the kasha was your uncle. The boy shook his head. He was just the only one to take me in. I don't have anyone else. Boy, have you been able to make things happen with your mind before? The boy shook his head. Oh, so the purple lightning and avalanches are new. I imagine it must have surprised everyone. This was said with gentle good humor that confused the boy. He hadn't heard a joke like it, one that didn't hurt. He knew it was different and had to respond in a way that was special, but the tone of the voice confused him. Never mind, child, never mind. All is well. The boy shivered a little, and the yellow-haired man tucked him more firmly into the furs and blankets. He looked out of the cave towards the black forest, towards the ruins of the koshal. He seemed considering something, something that made lines appear on his face, and the boy tensed. Adults with those lines tended to hurt him. Finally, boy, would you like to come with me? I won't hurt you. He opened up his palm to show the boy a tiny dancing green light edged in black. I can make things happen with my mind, too, he whispered conspiratorially. The boy reached for the green flame, and the man let him take it. The boy cradled the flame against his wrapped hands, liking the way it made him feel warm inside, in his mind, safe. I can do this, he asked. The yellow-haired man chuckled. Oh, yes, child, you can do many more things than that. You want me to teach you? Could be fun. The boy looked down at the shadowed green flame again and felt something resonate in his mind with it. 
Okay, he said, looking back at the man. Good, good. The man leaned back on his heels, taking a moment as if in thought. We'll have to get you a proper name. He snapped his fingers, and the green flame jumped back to him, twined around his hand like a snake, resting against his throat. The boy missed its heat from his hand. I've got it. Itis. It means helper, in a language you will have to learn, my little shadow mage. Another smile. You can call me Hyperion. Itis stumbled over the unfamiliar sounds. It's a bit of a mouthful in your tongue, but you see, I'm not from around here. Itis smiled timidly at him. I think going somewhere new could be nice, he offered. Hyperion laughed and tugged on Idis's new hat so that it promptly fell over the boy's eyes. Idis pushed it up. He wanted to see the man smile. It made him feel good. That's the spirit, Idis. Adventure, magic, freedom. I've been hoping to find an apprentice, and here you are. We'll get on well with each other, little brother. You just wait and see. I have a good feeling about you. For the first time in his young life, Idas went to sleep warm, safe, and full, tucked up in Hyperion's coat with his head pillowed on Hyperion's leg. Phoebe was dreaming. She was standing in a city of stone draped in masses of vegetation. Confusing passages and stairs that led nowhere surrounded her, windows showing walls and open terraces filled with doors. She liked it. It was chaos and order. It was her childhood. She saw herself, tiny, brown, naked, playing with serpents and creatures that inhabited the jungle that was always surrounding her mother. It felt warm and safe, just as she remembered. Phoebe, she heard in the distance. Baby Phoebe's face lit up at the sound, and she started to totter towards the call. Phoebe, come here for a minute. Mama needs you. She watched her little self struggle over the plants and animals on fat, adorable legs that couldn't seem to work right catching herself on baby-soft, pudgy hands until she made it to the tree chair her mother was sitting in. Vines and leaves wrapped around her in a living halo, and the soil itself seemed to climb up her dress, merging seamlessly between fabric and rich, humic earth. There you are, precious, said her mother. Ankh, beautiful Ankh with her bold brown hair. Ankh leaned down to help baby Phoebe tug herself onto her mother's lap, lying her head trustingly against her shoulder. Ankh's dress drew away easily and let baby Phoebe pull a breast into her mouth to suckle. Good girl, said Ankh, running her hands along baby Phoebe's hair, rocking slowly and humming as green magic power spilled out of her onto the baby. As it touched her younger self, Phoebe saw Ankh guide the power around her, reshaping something, making her glow green from a spell woman Phoebe couldn't identify. Oh, my baby, said Ankh, brushing invisible hairs off baby Phoebe's fat cheeks. You mustn't tell the others you're my favorite, the best of all my creations. Isn't that right, my darling? You must grow up to be just like your mama. Yes, you will. Why, green goddess? Ankh nuzzled her again, and emerald light flared around her, and woman Phoebe thought she saw the baby grow tendrils and shoots of her own within the light. Mr. Spring, mistress, someone was shaking her. Phoebe opened a single, bleary eye to realize she'd fallen asleep on Silence's desk. She could feel engraved book corners smooshed into her skin, and her neck was killing her. Ugh, she said. Maggie, what's wrong? Mistress, Judas says that the things are getting worse. Will you come to the mirror? He wants to show you and the other masters something. A bad feeling started to settle somewhere in her solar plexus. Get the others, Maggie. I'll meet you at the mirror. 
She felt the others arrive, but she couldn't take her eyes off the mirror itself. The large pool was filled with images from any realm that Je Judas had the strength to see into, and each one showed a similar story. Living things, warped and mutated, evolution run amok, unable to die and in too much pain to live, unrestrained lust, plants consuming cities, and people as the boundaries between living and non-living, kingdom, phylum, and family all started to merge. It was grotesque. Phoebe couldn't look away. Hurricane's gasp made her look up enough to see the rest of the Leviathans staring in shocked horror at the scene as well. It's getting worse, said Judas. Something has riled her up, and she's pumping out more power than the Earth can stand. He gave a long shudder that Phoebe shared as another screaming creature shared its agony with the world. Ankh, said Ocean in his slow, powerful way. We have to stop her. Yes, we do, said Phoebe, suddenly inspired. She looked around, realizing that they were one face short. Maggie, where's Thunder? Oh, I don't know, mistress, said the hound. I lost his scent near Phaestus's forge, but I didn't want to delay too long. Fine, never mind him. We can go without him, said Hurricane. There are four of us, including Magda. I want in on this. We've spent enough time talking. She spat a little into the dirt beside the pool, and Phoebe felt a twang for the now-dead garden. I wish I had appreciated it more when I was here, she thought sadly, taking a moment to see the gray dust and skeletons where color and life had grown before. It's time to get some action, continued Hurricane. Let's go crush her. Phoebe closed her eyes to make sure she remembered what home felt like from all those years ago. Child memories were buried deep and hard to dredge up with so many lives and lifetimes in between. I know where she is, she said. Maggie, I need you to go find Thunder. Tell him we're at the City of the Immortals and to follow as soon as he can. But, mistress, please, Maggie, Thunder and you may have to come rescue us if things go badly. Oh, yes, ma'am, I'll get him. We'll follow you, she said, snapping to attention and taking off at a run. That is the end of episode five.